Hey, how you doing this weekend? Great. It's great to be with you. I am uh, Jeff Surratt, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. And I want to say hi to those of you who are joining us uh, from one of our other venues, maybe in the chapel or the warehouse. Maybe you're at a campus in Greenville, South Carolina, or spread across the three-state area. Or maybe you're watching on the internet. We're glad that you are along. You are asking yourself today, why do we have to listen to Jeff again? We just heard him two weeks ago. He just keeps showing up. Well, the reason you have the privilege of me speaking this weekend is Greg, along with his son Josh, are in Holland this morning. In fact, they've already had church this morning in, in Holland. They're over there with a church called Thousand Hills that were kind of a sister church of Seacoast and also working with some church planters. They were in Germany doing a, a seminar for church planters in Germany. So Greg is getting to do what he loves to do, which is pour into other churches, pour into church planters, which means I get to do what I love to do, which is talk to you on Sunday. So we're, that's, that's how we got stuck together. So we'll, we're stuck. Let's just enjoy the ride. Oh, yeah, there you go. Cheap applause. Yeah, yeah. I love cheap applause. There's nothing like it. As I was thinking about Greg being in Holland, uh, last year he made this trip and I went with him. And, and I was reflecting back on some of the other trips that I've taken. And I remember one in particular. I went to India. And actually, Greg didn't go on that one. It was me and, and Pastor Mac Lake went to India together. And normally, when we go to India, we make our own uh, hotel arrangements. But this year, the church in India said, hey, there's a great hotel just down the street from the, uh, 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 from the church, and we'll go ahead and get you a room there. And, and it's a three-star hotel which we normally had been able to stay in a four-star hotel in India and found out that uh, the difference between a four-star and a three-star in India is huge, okay? You know what I'm saying to you? It's like the difference between like, like a really nice Marriott and a Hotel 6 built in 1934. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this was cheesy is a nice way to put it. And so Mac Lake and I had separate rooms, which actually worked out really well for a couple of reasons. One, there was only bed, one bed in each room. And how many of you know dudes don't share a bed? Okay, that's just a cardinal rule. My wife doesn't understand it, but it's the truth. All right. And the other reason that that was good is the bed in each room was round. Yeah. Had we shared a bed, it would have been some, some bro time for me and Mac. And not into the bro snuggle. You know what I'm saying? Just doesn't work for me. So I'm in this room by myself in India, 10,000 miles away from home, middle of the night, three in the morning, can't sleep, 10 and a half hour uh, time difference. So wide awake, turn on the TV. All that's on the TV are Indian movies. If you have never watched an Indian movie, wow, they're all exactly the same. They're all in Hindi. They're all musicals. They have, you don't need to speak Hindi to understand. They all have the same plot. And after about 30 minutes of that, that's enough, you know? So I turn off the TV. I'm in this weird room, cheesy hotel, round bed, nothing on TV, 3 a.m., can't sleep, can't call home. It's like $10 a minute to make a call from the hotel room. And, I, you know, I've never felt so disconnected, so alone in my life. Have you guys had experiences like that where you just you just feel alone? I mean, maybe you've been on a business trip and you're by yourself in a strange city, strange hotel, or maybe you remember when you went away to college for the first time and you're in your dorm room or fraternity and you're away from home and you, every, nothing is, 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 is the same. Or, you know, for some of you, it might be moving to a new area. You may, you may have moved to Columbia or Greenville or, or Charleston recently and, and you just, you don't know anybody. You don't know if you fit or... 
Or sometimes it's because we lose somebody in our lives and, and, and we just, you know, that feeling of being alone, of being disconnected. And I don't think there's a worse, a worse feeling on earth. In fact, that's what we want to talk about this weekend is, is how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that feeling of, of being disconnected and the desire to connect to other people? There's a popular movie out right now called The Social Network. I don't know if you've seen it. I'm not recommending that you go see the movie. It is, it is a good movie. But what's interesting is, is kind of the plot behind the movie involves a couple of guys who went to Harvard. And they were twi- they're twins, um, true story. And they came up with this idea at Harvard that they would create an online program where Harvard students could connect with one another. They called it Harvard Connection. And the idea was that if you had a harvard.edu email address, you could join this group. And they felt like the key to this was exclusivity, just the, 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 the exclusivity of being Harvard students, connecting with Harvard students. But they needed someone to help them with the computer side of it, the coding. And so they brought in a brilliant uh, freshman named Mark Zuckerberg. And they explained to him the concept behind Harvard Connection. Well, he immediately picked up on something, that the key was not exclusivity. The key was connectivity. And so he kind of took their idea. He changed it. He did a ton of coding, and it became, <clears throat> it became Facebook. And now at Facebook, just what, six years later, there are over 500 million people who are on Facebook. How many of you have a Facebook account? Raise your hand. You look around. It's over 50% of us, maybe 75% of us have a Facebook account. And the key to Facebook, the bottom line of Facebook is what? It's connectivity. It's the feel of being connected to other people. That's why so many people have, have gotten on. You can connect with old high school friends and, and people that move away across the country. And here's what's interesting to me is what Mark Zuckerberg discovered was something that God hardwired into us <clears throat> from the beginning. And that's this, this need, excuse me, that's, that's this need for deep connection. We have this inbred need to be connected. And yet in the 21st century, we are hyper-connected. And yet, I don't know if it, how it's working. I mean, we're hyper-connected. We're, we're connected through Facebook. And some of us connect through Twitter and through blogs. And we have email. And we have voicemail. We have text messaging. In fact, a lot of us can't imagine leaving home without our cell phone, right? Because if we walk out without our cell phone, what if we miss a call or if we miss a text message? Some of you right now are checking your email in church. I know what you're doing back there. You're not reading version, you know, because we just we're connected 24-7. Yeah, people are laughing. It's true. 24-7, 365, we're connected. And yet these connections are kind of surface. They're kind of flat. They're not this robust connection that we desire deeply. Now, let me give you an example, um, how we celebrate birthdays. You know, a long time ago, if you had a friend who had a birthday, you would sit down and you would get out something that looked a lot like, a lot like this. <clears throat> this is called paper. I don't know if you guys remember this. And you would get something that looked, uh, do you guys remember these? These are called pins. And, and you would drag them across the paper and you'd make words. And then you'd fold it up and put it in something called an envelope. And, and, and the government sells these things called stamps. And you'd put a stamp, you remember, long, way back. And you'd send this handwritten letter, happy birthday, right? But then Hallmark figured out that was way too much work. They helped us connect. They came up with birthday cards. And so then you would just go down to Walmart and buy a birthday card. Instead of writing a letter, you just put a little note in it, sign it, and you'd, again, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and send it. And it would, you know, they would get the birthday card. 
But then just a very few years ago, you guys remember when e-cards started up, right? And then you didn't have to go to Walmart. Then you could just go online, find an e-card that you like, click on it, put in their email address, hit send, and they, they, they got your birthday greeting. You're still connected, but not quite like a handwritten letter or a mailed birthday card. But what do you do now if it's somebody's birthday? Just somebody shout out. What do you do for somebody's birthday? You Facebook them, right? You write on their wall. Now, if you just heard me say write on their wall and you think that involves graffiti at their house, okay? Life has passed you by. I, I don't mean to be cruel, but you have missed the train, all right? You're going to have to call either your child or your parents because they both know what Facebook is, right? You're in the middle. You're the only one who doesn't know. I don't want to make you feel lonely, but you are. What you do, and I do it myself, You get on Facebook, you go to their wall, you write one sentence, happy birthday, you click update, and boom, you're good, you're connected. You may get 10 of those or 5 of those or 30 of those or whatever on your wall on your birthday, and that's our connections, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's kind of shallow, isn't it? It's kind of flat and hollow. There's not a lot of effort. There's not a ton of connection in that. In the 21st century, we're more connected than we've ever been, and yet I would say We're more alone at the same time. And that's what I want to talk about. How do we deal with that aloneness? Would you guys pray with me before we dive into the message? Father, thank you today for uh, just the chance to speak, to share. What What an unbelievable privilege to speak at this church. To speak anywhere at any time and represent you. Lord, I pray that you will just speak truth through me, that you will illuminate your word and apply it to our lives over the next few minutes. And Lord, that's my prayer. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're we're in this series called uh, The Church in Your House, and we're studying the book of Philemon. And just to quickly give you the overview of Philemon, uh, basically the book is 25 verses long. We're in week, what, five, and we're going to get to verse seven today, so we're, we're making some progress. And the idea of Philemon, there's just three characters. Paul the Apostle, he's in prison in Rome, He has met a a runaway slave named Onesimus. Onesimus has committed his life to Christ. And now Paul is sending Onesimus back to his owner, Philemon, who lives in the town of Colossae. And this letter is saying, will you forgive Onesimus? Will you set him free? Can he be your fellow worker in the Lord? And so that's the kind of the plot of the letter. And from that, the letter is addressed to Philemon and the church in your house. And we're talking about what does it mean to have a church in your house? The first week, Greg talked to us about who is the Onesimus in your life? Who is God sending into your life that you need to love or you need to forgive or you need to care for? And each of us is trying to identify who the Onesimus is in our life. The next week, Greg talked about a Greek word called kairos. And kairos is a time when time stands still, when God breaks into our consciousness and is trying to teach us something, is trying to bring us a lesson, is changing something about our life. And Greg talked about how do we recognize these kairos, these God-given moments in our life. And then in the third week, I talked to you about a couple of Greek words, ecclesia, which is the word church, which is gathering. And we talked about oikos. We talked about oikos being a household, but it being more than just your family that you live with being your whole circle of influence, your, your, your oikos, your household. And we talked about identifying who is our oikos and beginning to build our oikos. Now, if you were with us last week, you heard the amazing story of Ron Hall. 
If you didn't listen, I really recommend that you go on the internet, you find the past messages, listen to that message. He wrote a book called Same Kind of Different as Me, transformational book in my life. And Ron talked about the specific mission that God had given him. And his mission was connecting with a homeless man named Denver. And from there, he and Denver have made huge progress in helping homeless shelters around the country. And so we are all asking ourselves, what is our mission? You know, your mission may be to the homeless or, or it may be something else. So though, that's kind of where we are today. And, and, and now we're going to talk today about connection. How do we connect? I have good news. No Greek words today. Isn't that good? You don't have to learn any new Greek. You got all the Greek you need. You got your Kairos, your Ecclesia, your Oikos. But let's talk about connection. And we see the key to a connected life in Philemon uh, chap, uh, verses 4 through 7. It's on your outline sheet. Um, let me read that to you. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. You know, Paul, in addressing Philemon, kind of hits on three dimensions of connection in Philemon's life. And that's where I want to hang out today, in these, these three dimensions. And on your, your outline sheet, you see a triangle. And I think the triangle is a great symbol to help us look at what a three-dimensional connected life would look like. And this is an original with me. Uh, Mike Breen, who will be with us in a couple of weeks, kind of pioneered this idea of, of, of the triangle and connection and three-dimensional. But let's, let's take a look at the connections in Philemon's life. First, Paul says, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith that you have, and underline, toward the Lord Jesus, toward the Lord Jesus. Philemon was first connected up. He had a vertical connection with God. And we're going to talk a little bit about what does that up connection look like in our lives. And then Paul goes on to say, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Why don't you underline all the saints, all the saints. Philemon was not just connected up vertically to God, but he was connected in with other believers. Important connection. It was a two-dimensional connection, up with God and in with other believers. And then finally, Paul says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith, would you underline that phrase? One more phrase, the sharing of your faith. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. You see, Philemon was connected to the needs of the world. He was connected out. So this is kind of what a three-dimensional connection looks like in our life. We are connected up with God. We are connected in with other believers. We are connected out to the needs of the world. And that's what a full three-dimensional lifestyle of connection looks like. And to get an idea, to understand how that looks like in real life, we're going to look at the example of Jesus because Jesus is always our example. We always go back to Jesus to, to see how we live this life on earth. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6, and there's a, a passage in there that kind of follows Jesus for a day, and through this day or two days, we see Jesus living this up, in, and out lifestyle. Uh, we start in the 12th verse of Luke chapter 6. It says, In these days he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. He spent all night praying. You see, Jesus lived 
this up connection consistently in his life. He often would go away by himself to pray. He would go all night to pray. He also went to public times when when God was worshipped. He went to the synagogue with his followers. We read many times when he would sit down with his group of followers and they would pray together. He taught them how to pray. That's where the Lord's prayer came from. As Jesus was teaching his disciples this up connection, how to be connected with God. It's interesting that Jesus, being God, saw this connection with God vital in everything that he did. Look at John chapter 5. It says, So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Isn't it ironic that Jesus is God, and yet while he's on earth, he says, I can't do, I won't do anything without connecting with my Father. I only do what he shows me to do. He, that's, how, uh, uh, that's how vital this up connection is in God's life. And yet we can kind of yada yada through that connection, can't we? Sometimes that connection to God is just a quick prayer in the morning or a prayer over a meal, or sometimes it's even just a weekend service and we spend a little time here and, and then we don't really think about God until the next weekend. But Jesus said this up connection needs to be an everyday 24-hour connection. Sometimes we confuse a morning quiet time with this up connection. And I think a morning quiet time or an evening quiet time is essential. It's a big part of my life and my connection with God, but that's just a part of it. A a few years ago, it became very popular to wear the bracelets that said WWJD. Remember that? Maybe some of you still have have one of those bracelets and we talked about what would Jesus do. And I think that's a good thing. And it's kind of a, a way to mentally think about God. But I think this up connection is much more than just, I pray for a few minutes in the morning. I think about what would Jesus do in crucial situations of my life. That this up connection is more of a 24-7 becoming like Jesus. In fact, uh, one author, Alan Hirsch, describes it as becoming little Christs. We become Jesus. We come to a point where we don't even really need to ask what would Jesus do because our reactions become naturally what Jesus' reactions would be. And that takes a vital up connection. As, as I thought about this up connection this week, I, was, I thought about my wife's grandfather, Hubert Sparks. Hubert was, was a, a common guy, everyday guy, that really, really grasps what it means, means to be connected with God on an everyday basis. In our church, he went to my dad's church, and in the tradition I grew up in, at the end of a lot of our services, we would have what we called an altar service, similar to our response time. And the pastor would call people down to the front of the auditorium, and we had benches uh, down at the front, and people would come, <clears throat> pardon me, and they would kneel down at, at one of these benches, and they would pray. Now, the pastor would, would give different appeals for different things going on in life. If you have this going on in your life, maybe you want to come, come pray. No matter what the appeal was, though, my wife's grandfather came every single time. Every time we had church, every time there was an appeal, he came forward. He always knelt in the same spot in the front of the auditorium. He was always the first one to come down and pray, and he was always the last one to get up and leave because he felt this connection with God was so vital. When my wife would go over and spend the night with her grandparents, every morning after breakfast, they would go into the living room for prayer time. And her, 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 her grandfather would read a, a passage of scripture. And then the whole family would kneel down there in the living room and they would pray. And after he would pray out loud for a while, he would say, now we're just going to wait and we're going to hear from God. 
And they would just sit quietly there on their knees and wait. Well, well, Sherry, you know, was a little girl and she would get antsy and she'd start fidgeting and playing around a little bit. And her grandfather very gently would just look up and say, Sherry, Sherry, let's just wait. Let's wait. As he retired from work and he got older, I, I, I would go over to their house and normally he would be doing one of three things. He'd be reading the newspaper, he'd be doing his crossword puzzle, but most of his time he would just read his Bible. Just simply read his Bible. He would begin at the beginning and read to the end and begin at the beginning and read to the end. As he got older, his eyesight failed. And so they got cassette tapes for him and he would listen to the Bible. This was a man who understood this 24-hour, seven-day connection with God. He was becoming, day by day, even when he was 80 years old, he was still becoming more like Christ. You see, our, your up connection will look different than his, but it's vital in life if we want to have this full, li- uh, full life connection that we be connected up with God. But Jesus wasn't just connected up. He was also connected in. He was connected with the household, with the group around him, with his oikos. Uh, continuing in Luke chapter 6, it says, And when day came, after Jesus had prayed all night, when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve whom he called apostles. See, Jesus prayed all night before he selected his oikos. He knew how important it was that he have the right people around him. Jesus knew that even though he was God, he needed to be connected with like-minded believers. And so he selected this group of 12. And within that group of 12, he had a group of three that he just, he did life together with these guys. He ate at their house. He knew their families. Uh, they, They went on trips together. They just did life together. Do you have those kind of relationships in your life? People that you are connected with, people that your life is an open, open book to. When Sherry and I very first moved to Charleston, it, I've told you guys about this before, it was, it was hard. The only people we knew were Greg and Debbie. Um, we had all our married life, we'd lived in Houston. We didn't know anyone here. It was, it was a really, really hard move. And we felt really alone. And someone in the church invited us to come to a life group. We'd never been to a life group before. We'd heard of them. We showed up in their living room. It was, it was kind of different. They, 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 they weren't great Bible teachers because we thought we were going to a Bible study. And uh, it, it was kind of a different environment. But as we were there for a while, we saw people begin to open their lives up to each other. It was more than just reading the Bible. It was what's going on in your life. They began to really pray for each other. Some of those people got into our lives and we got into their lives. And 14 years later, we're still intertwined. Our lives are intertwined with those people. And that life group really was a lifeline to Sherry and I. Do you have that kind of connection? Because you need this up connection, but you also desperately need the in connection, that connection to other believers. See, Jesus had this deep connection. He knew that these men had his back. Now, we read in the Gospels that when he was arrested, all of them disappeared. But if you go further in the story and you see what happens at the end of the story, 11 of the 12 guys around Jesus eventually gave their lives, lost their lives defending the cause of Christ. They had each other's back. They cared for each other. They loved each other. We need those relationships. A few years ago, I got an opportunity to go to Africa. 
but I needed someone to go along with me. So I went to my men's group and I said, guys, here's the deal. I'm, I got an opportunity to go to Africa and I'd love for one of you guys to go along with me. And it's a really special deal. You, you need to take two weeks off of work to go and you have to pay your own way and there really aren't any rewards. Who's up for that? You know, it's hard to find guys to volunteer for that kind of thing. One of the guys in my group said, I'll do it. Let me talk to my wife. Uh, I'm a small business owner. I'm going to have to figure out how I could be away from the business for two weeks. I'll go. We'll do it. And so he did. He volunteered. And the one thing he forgot to mention is that he is terrified of flying. Now, how many of you know it's hard to get to Africa without getting on an airplane? Really hard. He made it okay on the big planes that we took to get to Nairobi. But then from Nairobi out to the bush where we were going, we had to take a a, a Kenya airplane, that uh, propeller plane. I think it was built seriously probably in 1955. And I think the last maintenance was in 1956, you know. And like, you know, all the safety stuff you go through here in America, you know, seat belts and uh, uh, air bass dropping from the ceiling. Yeah, they didn't worry about any of that stuff. It was just sit down, be quiet. Here we go. They started the propellers up. And if you've ever been on one of these things, one of these old ones, it's like every bolt and every rivet is about to come apart. This whole plane is rattling and shaking and you know, the stuff of, uh, over us is shaking. And I look over at my buddy and he's a big guy and he was terrified. I mean, he was just like, mm. and I thought, you know what? That's the kind of guy I want in my life. The kind of guy that it's not about his own comfort. It's not about where he wants to be. He knew that a buddy needed some help. He needed a guy with him. And so he was with me. This is a guy that I can call at 3 3 a.m. And I know he's going to answer. I know that if I need somebody to stand up for me, he's going to be there. He's more than a Facebook friend. He's a real friend. He's a believer that prays for me. And I pray for him. And we're in each other's lives. It's this in connection. You got to be connected up with God. But you also have to be connected in with other believers. And then finally, Jesus was also connected out to the needs of the world. Verses 17 through 19 say this, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and he healed them all. Notice how Jesus is connected to the needs of the world around him. He, he declared the good news of the kingdom because he knew the biggest need was to be connected to the Father. He spoke out against injustice. He cared for the poor. He cared for the sick. He took up the cause of widows and orphans. He, showed, uh, he championed the outcast. And he showed the love of a father to a dark and lonely world. He was connected out to the world around him, to the needs of the world around him. And he calls us to do the same. And, and the reality is that most of you are get the up connection. You know, you may not do it perfectly, but we're trying. We're striving to be connected with the Father. And a lot of us get the in connection. I mean, we, we're part of a life group. We, we might have an accountability partner or a mentor. We're, we're striving to try to figure out that piece of our lives. But the truth is, is many of us struggle with the out part of this equation. But we have to have all three because, you see, we need, we need to flow in with the Father. We need to be connected with, with others, but we need to, there needs to be an outflow in our lives. How do we find that outflow? How do we discover the needs around us? How can we connect with those needs? I mean, we hear a story like Ron Hall's, and that, that sounds amazing, and getting to know this, this homeless guy and 
inviting him into our lives. But man, that seems like a huge step. Well, if you remember Ron's story, he didn't start by inviting a homeless guy to live with him. He started by loving his wife. Remember that? His wife said, I think we should go serve soup at the soup kitchen. And he said, I don't want to go to the soup kitchen, but I love you. And that was his first step. You start where you are. You figure out what your first step is. My wife, Sherry, over the last couple of years has had the opportunity to connect with with women all over America. And one of the ladies she connected with, uh, I love her story. Her name is Marilyn. She lives in Canada. And Marilyn was a stay-at-home mom all all, all of her married life. But her husband came to her a while back and said, you know, um, the, the, the economy is turning south. Uh, our last child has graduated from high school. She's going to college. We have to pay for her college. And I hate to say this, but you're, we're going to have to figure out a way for you to have some income because we're just not going to make it on my income alone anymore. Well, Marilyn had never worked outside the home. She didn't feel like she had any marketable skills. She, she didn't know how she could earn a living. One thing she had is she loved uh, pets, loved dogs. And so she decided to try being a dog walker. And so she talked to some friends. She lives in a community where they love their pets. And so she was able to sign up some people and she started walking their dogs and started getting a little income from that. Well, around the same time, Marilyn started hearing about the sex trade, uh, sex slaves in her area of Canada, in Ontario, and found out that it was a gateway for uh, the sex trade throughout Canada, throughout North America. And it broke her heart. And she couldn't stand the fact that these girls were being sold into to slavery right there in her own city, and she had to do something about it. And she had this idea that she wanted to help set up a, a shelter somehow for, for these girls, but didn't know how she could do it. And then she had an idea. She knew that these people in her community loved their dogs. She walked their dogs. She actually made homemade dog food for her own dog. And she thought, what if I made this home, homemade dog food and sold it to people and um, could use the money from that to figure out this sex, sex, slave, sex trade thing? But she figured out a brilliant marketing piece. Here's what she did. She, she got permission from the dog owners that she was already walking, and she started dressing them up like superheroes, okay? Can you, if you can imagine a lady walking through your neighborhood with about four dogs, all of them dressed with capes and masks, and, and so people <clears throat> inevitably would stop her and they would say, um, what's with the costumes on the dogs? And she would say, these are superhero dogs. And they would say, excuse me, why are they superhero dogs? And she would say, well, they eat this special dog food that I sell to them and all the money from that dog food goes to rescue girls out of the sex trade. And so they're superheroes because they're rescuing girls out of the sex trade. And guess what happened? People said, I want to buy that dog food. I want my dog to be a superhero. And then people said, I want to start doing what you're doing. And so people started, started dog walking businesses and they started selling her gourmet dog food and they started cook, making, helping her make the gourmet dog food. Well, then she got a group of friends together and she said, what do they, said to them, what do you think of this idea? And they said, it's great, we love it, you should do it, it's awesome. And she called them her breakfast club cheerleaders because all they did is say, everything you do is great. And she said, everyone needs breakfast club cheerleaders, but they're not good at helping you get a good business plan. So she got another group of people. She had a friend who was 
was a, 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 a lawyer and a friend who was a business guy and, and a friend who understood the sex trade deal and got them together. And they created a business plan for her. So now she has this dog walking business, this food selling business, the cheerleaders that are going, go, 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 the business group that's going, let's get a business plan. And now she has this plan where through her church, they are uh, uh, setting up a shelter for these girls. That It's going to be funded through this dog food that she's selling that more and more and more people are helping her sell. When they get the girls out of the sex trade, she's going to teach them to do what? Be dog walkers to, to support themselves and sell gourmet dog food to do what? To fund the shelter that they're in. And it all started with this lady who didn't have any marketable skills, had to go earn some income and couldn't stand the fact that girls were being sold into the sex trade in her city. She figured out her out. She found a need and filled it. So we do the opposite a lot. I like to do this. I like to do that. Maybe, maybe someone could need that. No, no, no. Look around you. Who hurts? Who is downcast? Who is outcast? Who is no one else taking care of? And then how can you take one step toward those people? Sherry told me a story of, a, of another lady. Again, a stay-at-home mom. Didn't feel like she had a lot of skills. Just felt God drawing her heart toward prisoners. And she, she, she'd never been to prison. She lived a protected life. She, what could she do? And so she went, she found a way to go and visit girls in prison. So she was visiting girls in prison. She asked what they need and they needed all kinds of things. And she, way over her head. But then one of them mentioned that when she got out of prison, the only outfit she would have is the outfit she was wearing when she was taken to jail. And in her time in prison, she had lost a lot of weight and it wouldn't fit her anymore. And come to find out a lot of the girls that was happening to them. And this lady thought, well, you know what? I know how to sew. I mean, that's one thing I do know how to do. And so she went and she found a girl that was leaving in three months and she took her measurements and she went and she sewed her a custom made outfit for when she got out of prison and she gave it to that girl. And then she did it a couple more times. And then some of her friends heard about this and they said they could sew. And so they started sewing too. And eventually she got this whole group of women that uh, go to the prison, find out who is getting out of prison, meet the girls, make a relationship with them, get their measurements, sew these custom-made outfits, not just so they can have an outfit, but so they can have something nice to wear when they go on job interviews so they can get a job. And when these girls say, why are you doing this? They say, because of the love of Jesus. We want to share it with you. So here's this woman who has never had a job who has, to her knowledge, no skills, but she does know how to sew. She's changing these girls' world. She's figured out this out. That's all God's calling us to do. He's just calling us to figure out what is our out? Where is the need? Who is hurting? And how can we, not, not hey, how could Seacoast go fix this need? How could I get a pastor to go do this? But what's God calling me to do? And how can I gather a group around me that's, could be fired up about the same need. And how could we as a group go change our world? How could you reach people who are far from God? How could you right a wrong? How could you sue the hurt in Jesus' name? See, we were all made to live the connected life. And I found this triangle about two or three years ago. And I found it really useful in my life to kind of evaluate where am I at in this connected life? 
In my own life personally, how is the up in my life? Am I staying connected to God? How is the in in my life? Am I connected with other believers? What about the out? Am I connected to the needs of the world around me? It's a great tool to look at your family. Is there an up component in your family? Is there an in component? Is there an out component? If you're a life group leader, part of a life group, think about your life group. Is your life group doing stuff that connects you with God? Is your life group really connected? Is it just a Bible study or are you doing life together? What's the out for your life group? How are you guys meeting needs outside the church, outside your own world? For some of you today, my question at the beginning is, are you lonely? And that hurt because you are. You're very lonely. And I want to tell you that there's a reason you're here this weekend. It's a divine appointment because God doesn't want you to be lonely. There's a scripture says, that says he sets the lonely in families. The important thing is that you, are you connected to God? Are you connected? You know, some of you, either a long time ago, maybe you, you said a prayer, but you haven't stayed connected, or maybe you've never connected to God. Today is your day. All you have to do is just say, God, I'm lonely. I want to know you. See, God sent his son to earth to live and to die because he so wants that connection with you. It's not a one-way connection. He wants to pour into your life. For some of you, God would say, I want to set you in a family. I want, I want you to be part of an oikos. And you can connect through seacoast to a, to a family of believers. For some of you, we're living selfish lives and we're not pouring out into the world. And the reason that we're lonely is because we're missing that connection that God wants us to have with those who are lost and least and forgotten in the world. But the one thing I know for you is that God's will for you is to live this three-dimensional connected life and not to be alone. Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, wow, thank you for the gift of connection and the example of your son Jesus who lived a life connected to you and connected to friends and connected to the needs of a lost and dying world. Lord, I pray specifically for the person who is here today who is not in a relationship with you. It may be cold and distant or maybe it doesn't exist at all. And I pray that during the next few minutes that they will come to know you and that they will reconnect their life and begin their journey toward you. Lord, I pray for the person who's alone, whether they are a Christ follower or whether they're not. Lord, that they can know that you love them, that you care for them, and that your desire is for them to know and be known, to love and be loved. And Lord, I pray that they will feel your spirit in their life and they'll learn to live this connected life. And Lord, that's my prayer today in your name. Amen.